Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today's guest is Allison McLeod. Allison is the EVP of Global Marketing at Flywire. And we really dig into this idea of global marketing today. What does it mean to be a leader of a marketing organization and have true global ownership over different regions of a team, of a go-to-market strategy, everything that comes with that? Now, we talk a little bit in the first half, but elements of Allison's career that led her to feel confident to run a global marketing team. Now, she says though, you know, you've all obviously got to be a great leader, not the best marketer at different points. And I unpack that a little bit in our conversation today. The second half, we get more into the weeds of global marketing. How do you actually go with different verticals into markets that need different products? And how do you organize that team and prioritize the different elements that are always a strain on your team, even with one market or one vertical that you may have? This is a great episode for anyone trying to think about scaling and going outside of the country that they're currently in today. Here's my chat with Allison McLeod. Hey, Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for stopping in. I'm excited to unpack your career. And let's start with where you are today. You're the EVP of Global Marketing at Flywire. How did you land this opportunity? Um, Thanks for having me and great question. Uh, So I'm, yes, as you mentioned, EVP of Global Marketing at Flywire. And I've been here for almost two years, which is crazy to think it's gone that fast. Interestingly enough, I actually was approached by our CEO, uh, a few times to meet with him. Um, and I think it was based off of a referral from someone else uh, to meet with him, to just chat about the business, give ideas about, you know, what he might need in a marketing leader, you know, after hearing the story of Flywire and the growth trajectory and meeting the team and the board, that was sort of the end of that. And, and here I am. Um, but, you know, really, really wonderful company, wonderful leadership team and excited to be leading the team there. So one of the things I'm hoping to unpack today, because it's not in every marketing leader's job description or job title, is this emphasis on global marketing with your title. And tell us a little bit, first for context, about the global scope of the role, the team, the company. Yes. So um, I would say, you know, a lot of companies talk about being international or global, but typically U.S. first and then rest of world second. I think what's been really unique about Flywire is we truly are a global organization. Um, interestingly enough, you know we are headquartered in Boston, the, but um, the majority of our, our employees are outside of the U.S. So we have 12 offices around the world. You know we're, we're a global uh, payments and software company, and we serve unique verticals: education, healthcare, travel, and B2B. Um, and if you look at our client makeup go-to-market teams, we really are fully distributed across the globe. Um, And if we take one example, such as education, our clients are higher ed institutions, K through 12 schools, language schools. However, the users and the end users are the students. 
Um, so there are even some places where not only do we have a B2B model, but we also have a B2B to C model. So I actually have a, a team and a brilliant leader in our Shanghai office who does a lot of our consumer marketing directly to Chinese students who are studying at either um, U.S. universities or universities across the entire world and making sure that they are highly aware of Flywire's payment services and really you know, turning them into brand ambassadors as well. So that's been a, a really interesting aspect. Additionally, too, you know, a lot of companies talk about localizing. And if I even just look at our t- translation overall, if you look at our websites translated in eight languages, our pay in wow. languages, our, our client experience and payments team, um, and support team, uh, multilingual. So, so really, um, that has been such a really amazing part of being part of Flywire. It's just the ability to meet and interact with so many different uh, global coworkers. I, you know, I want to come back to this maybe a little later in the in the podcast when we talk about go to market and we talk about the buyer journey and, and those challenges of global. But I want to come back to to how you prep to be in this role and, and what parts of your career to date have armed you well to to have that lens of global. Like you said earlier, now a lot of us say we're going to go to market in a global way, but we go to market in the US. What did you ever get to do to give perspective to the nuances in some of these other regions? Uh, I, you know, I think a, a few things. Earlier in my career, I was at Forster Research for about six years. And about a year into the role, got a really fantastic opportunity to relocate to our Uh, London office for a bit and start the EMEA corporate marketing arm. And as part of that, a big strategy was working closely with the sales team. Again, it wasn't just a, you know, English first type of go to market, even think of the, the, what Forrester offers in terms of research, consulting, advisory, also multiple languages. So a, a big part of what I got to do was localization strategy for our marketing, for our content, um, for certain aspects of our digital programs and website. And I think that was a great entry into like, oh, wow, there's a lot of moving pieces to this. Um, and there's so much more than just, oh, translating, right? It really is a what's happening in region. How do you localize to trends, market conditions, dialects, even, you know, just greetings, cultural nuances and differences. So I would say that would, that would be one piece of it. And then, you know, secondly, um, working at, Rapid7, also a global organization in cybersecurity, I got the really great opportunity to start when Rapid7 was a small startup, 150 people, and grow with that organization through public market entrance, really successful, high growth, um, moving from on-premise to cloud-based products, growing globally, um, and really seeing that scale and expansion and, and being part of that. Um, something I certainly didn't take for granted in terms of learning. And I would say I think the other piece was um, what equipped me for this job is I've always raised my hand to say, like, I want to do that. I want to try it. (laughs) Um, I think that's a big piece of it is um, I I always feel like I need to learn more, be open to more, learn from others, right? So I think that's another piece of what what equipped me for that. So, you know, Continuing on that last point, you know, one of the unique parts you and I were talking about earlier today about, you know, your career is you've had some long tenures at companies, almost six years at Forrester, 
uh, seven years at Rapid Seven, and you you kind of joke that time's flown by. You know, you're at two years now, roughly at Flywire. Most people would think about moving on. As you said, what is being at companies longer done for giving you those opportunities to raise your hand and move within the org? So, you know, I, th- I think that's, that's a really interesting question, right? And I know that there's so much research out there, tenure and roles, and it's what, marketing two to three years, potentially. Um, I think for me is I value growth in learning. I've always said, like, if I could have been a professional student forever, I would have done it. It's just something that makes me really happy. And I love being challenged busier than I can handle and juggling many things. I think throughout my career, Forrester, I got the opportunity to try different things. Uh, Again, like I I said, uh, relocate, uh, do different stints. That's also, not to date myself, but that's really when like marketing automation was coming into the age of, it's kind of funny, back then it was like, if you're doing marketing automation, you're so far ahead of everyone. (laughs) Right. But that was early 2000s. I mean, that was early to mid 2000s, that was really when it was taking off. Yes, exactly. So I felt like I just had so many opportunities to grow with a you know growing company. And same with Rapid7. I don't think there was a day I worked there where I felt like I'm bored or I'm not challenged. That was a big piece of it. It was, it was always a new challenge and something new to tackle. And with that, my career grew as well. Um, and I see, you know, that same exact thing with Flywire, right? It's the it's exciting, it's challenging, it's changing, and I think that's what's kept me at companies for so long. There's there's never been a second of complacency. It's really always the to me, it's like the excitement and just being challenged and trying new things and keep getting better and better or learning. So, so in your case, as you said, you raised your hand. How much in now that you're the EVP? How much of that? Have you waited for people to put their hand up versus tapping them and saying, I need you to try something new? Because I think some of us, there's there's different expectations on both ends. There's those who go and grab it and those who want to be given those opportunities. What type of leader have you become? Um, I would say it's a little bit of both. And I think part of that's me projecting because while I will say I raised my hand a lot, it took me a long time to get to that place to really ask for what I wanted. Um, and I've learned that in your career, if you don't ask, no one, like, how is anyone to know what you really want to do or what you want to try, unless you're really advocating for yourself? Um, I do proactively ask, like, I ask my team, what do you want to do? What else do you want to try? What's important to you? And I have some people on my team that love what they do. And if I were to say to them, hey, I'm going to promote you and you're going to get a team of 10, they'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Right. Right. Um, so I think it's really important to understand what people want because a key piece of getting people to perform at their best is understanding what motivates them, what drives them. And for some people, that's not always the promotion or the bigger role or the next thing. So it's really trying to understand. So I would say I proactively ask, and then I certainly encourage people to ask me as well. So it's it's kind of a, a little bit of both. Great advice, Allison. This has been uh, great so far. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be back to jump over to the buyer journey side of everything you've got to figure out with all these different regions, nonetheless, right back here on the marketer's journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. You gotta love Allison's mentality around putting your hand up and jumping in to take opportunities, even if you may not feel ready for them. I think this is something that holds so many marketers back from advancing in their career. That willingness to take that opportunity that's a need to the company, to be around to see opportunities for change. One of the things that she's done by having these longer tenures of six, seven years in organizations is see the ways that you can get involved in a company over time ways that you can make a difference. Over time, you start to realize that it's not about being the best marketer at every individual area. It's about being the best leader. And that's something that she actually said to me before we went on tape today. She said, she is not the best marketer at every area, but she's always jumped in. And eventually she got to the point now as an EVP, where it's about being a leader. It's about uniting people, all willing to do their best in whatever role they may be in. That's the opportunity to advance your career. All right, Allison. So in unpacking your career and unpacking what you're doing today at Flywire, you hit on the fact that you've got 15 marketers and 12 offices. Now, I can't imagine that you got one marketer in each and then three support staff, but how do you support 12 offices? Because there's got to be an amazing amount of personalization needed there. Uh, there is. And I would say um, the way we are structured, um, I'm actually really excited about. So while we have 12 offices, we actually go to market uniquely in verticals, um, education, healthcare, uh, travel, and B2B. Um, and within those verticals, our sort of global expansion looks a little bit different. Education is where we started, so that's a bit more established versus B2B, which is our emerging vertical. So one of the things we do is take a squad-based approach, um, because as much as we'd love to be everywhere around the world, that's impossible, um, and not everything can be high priority. So across the verticals, we have our um, vertical and product marketing teams, and that's really the the owner and the keeper of like, what's our go-to-market? What's the product roadmap, the themes? How are we aligned with sales? How are we enabling them on the positioning, the messaging, really understanding those customer experiences? And then they work closely across our core functional teams. And that would be across demand gen and performance marketing, operations, communications, social media, PR, websites, design, um, and then we kind of go to market in our squads. So we have our vertical squads and a corporate squad. And then in region, one of the things that we are building into the plan next year, because interestingly enough, a, a, good, um, a good deal of a lot of the marketing as we've expanded, some has been done from US space. And then we have had 
uh, marketers in our Asia Pacific region. So we have a, um, a really wonderful marketing team in our Shanghai office that does our B2B to C marketing in our, in our China region and to payers. And then we are building that up as well to have more field support and in-region support next year so we can ensure that really everything that we are doing is truly localized um, and it's ahead of trends and it's very specific for that region in which they're supporting as well as the vertical. So so really interesting. And I want to try and go a little deeper on this idea of these squads, as you call them, which I, I like as a term, you know, because we don't want to confuse the team as a whole. So you've got squads, I guess, within the team. So for, for those listening to this podcast and trying to figure out how they could apply this on their end, help us understand, you know, the number of people in a squad to make it effective, uh, how many squads perhaps someone can be a part of, because it sounds like you then have these centers of excellence, if you will, for demand that they'll rely on. So is it really the product marketer that's heading the squad? Yes. So this piece is interesting, right? Because as we looked to scale and grow, what I really didn't want to do is create these vertical silos where no one was working together. Um, because at you know at the end of it, we are still... A one company, we're Flywire, we're one corporate brand. And yes, we, we sell and market and serve different verticals, but that was a big piece. So the verticals kind of serve as the squad leader. And I would say the vertical marketers are truly right now the only marketers 100% dedicated to their vertical squad. The big reason as well is oftentimes in teams, you'll find that someone will come to say the demand gen team and be like, well, I'm trying to do this. And it's like, well, those aren't my goals. This is how we do demand gen. This is more so that everyone has that same understanding of like, what are we actually trying to achieve here, right? So it's not the demand gen team saying, no, we have to do a webinar or a podcast or a blog because that's what works, right? It's people coming together to say, here's our goal. Here's who we're going after. Here's what we're trying to do for messaging, awareness, revenue. How do we build that strategy? Um, while I'd love to say that we are you know, fully efficient, my team is amazing. But, you know, they, we do have people that work on multiple squads, so it's not quite even where I would say like the, uh, the ones that are a little bit more built out right now are certainly our, our EDU just because that's our, our largest. Um, but that's a big piece of how we look at things. But overall, we really come together as a team. And this is a big, this is a big way to say, okay, here's how we organize ourselves by function, right? My expertise is demand gen or performance marketing or vertical marketing or communications but I'm not in my silo only doing, you know, comms, right? I'm working across the business to understand how do I apply that in the right way across these verticals. Gotcha. So when do you think is the right time to start to think about this vertical go-to-market strategy? Um, because I think a lot of us want to, as marketers, think about testing verticals, but the idea of building our teams out as verticals is, is a major commitment. Yes. Uh, and if one of these verticals doesn't pan out, you know, the marketer may feel a little bit like they let let down versus maybe the, yeah. you know, the fit. I actually think that's um, entirely dependent on your overall go-to-market and also your organizational structure, right? Like the reason why we have these vertical marketing teams is because we have unique services and products for verticals. Like we have our, you know, our core payment services platform, we have our core payment global network, right? That's our banks, our partners, but then we build software on top of that to serve distinctly those verticals. And someone who's buying 
software for education who might be in the international services office or financial aid has far different needs than the CFO or RevCycle leader at a hospital who's trying to engage with patients um, to drive more affordability of healthcare, but also ensure that they're you know, collecting versus a heliskiing tour operator owner who doesn't want to have anything to do with payments. I'm going to take that pain away and wants to continue on building their adventure travel business. So that's a big piece because we are a, a um, you know, vertical company and vertical go-to-market. It, it, was, it was definitely something I wrestled with a little bit when I started of like, does this make sense? Does it, does it not? But um, it is, you know, it's truly needed. But like I said, we apply also, like it's not the entire team, right? We don't have these vertical silos. We have these, Sort of, you can kind of think of vertical heads as product marketers. They're really owning that go-to-market. See, how do we message it? How do we position it? How do we package it? How do we enable it? And then they're working with the core teams to ensure that we go to market in the right way. So, and, and just to recap, so you've got 15 marketers, four squads. How many product marketers on the team today? I mean, product marketing is often one where in a team of 15, you you kind of have to fight for that second product marketer. We have about three people fully dedicated to like the vertical product marketing right now. Gotcha. That's that in itself though is, is uh, probably not as traditional for that size of a team, but I guess with that go to market, you need to be able to adjust team structure. Yeah. Yep. And, and again, they're, they're, while they definitely have a lens on the product marketing, it's also really that go to market piece and they're owning that go to market for the vertical and then working with the rest of the uh, org on that too. Interesting hybrid role for sure. Uh, this has been great. Uh, we're going to keep you around, Allison. We're going to talk a little bit about how you disconnect with all these different time zones that I can only imagine you're trying to manage. Uh, right back here on The Marketer's Journey. As we talk about the importance of a global marketing strategy, it's important for you to take a look at whether your content, whether your assets, your go-to-market materials are really geared to the different areas you're trying to sell. I remember a long time ago, I was chatting with someone at the senior marketing level at LinkedIn, and they talked about the challenge of realizing they were pumping out content assets, handing it over to other areas like the APAC regions, where everyone on the cover was just a white individual. And the reality when the team got this is they said, no one's gonna relate to this in any sort of way. It's important that we get down to these details of understanding what our market expects. Everything from the demographics, but also down to the way they're gonna use your products. It's very interesting chatting with Allison to hear that she's got marketers in these local regions. It's not everyone sitting in their American office trying to figure out how do we relate to someone in Shanghai. Rather, it's having marketers in Shanghai who don't only understand the product, but they understand that market. They understand the comparatives that people are looking at down all the way to their preferences to probably what TV shows they may be watching. These are important factors in connecting with your audience in a meaningful way. The question for you is, how are you gonna understand the different markets that you're not physically in? All right, Allison. So as we've uncovered your career and where you are today, I can only imagine with all these offices, 12 offices, not everyone's in a specific time zone. How do you disconnect when people are probably messaging you throughout the 24-hour clock? That's a good one. Um, so beyond you know time zones, I 
feel like we've got a full household here too. Um, I have three kids, um, three boys, William Lachlan and Jack. They are seven, four, and one tomorrow. Baby turns one tomorrow. All right. You're, you're in the thick of it. Thick of it. Um, so love spending time with the kids. I live in the Northeast. Um, we live in the little coastal town in mass. Um, and you know, in the summer it's, you know, definitely beach time with the kids getting out swimming. That was, that was a huge way to disconnect, particularly the summer in light of COVID. I would say another big thing for me is exercise. Peloton fanatic I've had mine for almost four years. I would say that's definitely part of my daily routine. I love getting up really early in the morning. I'm like a 4.30 to 5 a.m. riser. Um, mostly because I love having quiet time all to myself before the rest of the kids are awake. Um, so that's really my me time. So I try to get up, I watch the news, I have my coffee, ride my Peloton and then, uh, get ready for my day. But particularly, you know, this year, those are the things that have, that have certainly kept me feeling, um, more refreshed, recharged. I would love to say I get to, you know, read more and do great things, but I don't have time for any of that. That's fair. That's fair. How do you, you know, just digging back on this reality of, of the time zones, though, mm-hmm. do you have a mindset on saying, I'm not going to respond to messages in certain hours, or is that just part of the reality being a global leader? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think every person is needs to be responsible for setting their boundaries, right? So if you're using Slack, that means turn, using your notifications to your advantage. People are actually very good when you put that little uh, palm tree icon when you're out of the office. I may be worse at it than others, meaning disconnecting. And that's my own fault, but I recognize it when I do it too much. And I would say, you know, if there are days where I have a late evening meeting, which I know 8 p.m. isn't late for some people, but for me it is literally, okay, I'll make sure I block my calendar for an hour during the day to get outside, go for a walk. Um, and make sure you just set your, your, your boundaries that way. I'd say one thing about flywires, we are incredibly flexible, even, you know, pre COVID incredibly flexible working environment. So that isn't something that I, you know, I've, um, I've been very fortunate, right. To be part of an organization that, um, you know, fulfillment is definitely a core value that we, that we stand by and making sure that people are fulfilled at both home and at work. So that hasn't been too hard for me to try to unplug and, and recharge. That's some great advice. Today's been great, Allison. I can't thank you for sharing the journey in your career to date, uh, you know, the way you're thinking about going to market in this global way and, and then disconnecting back at home. All great tips. That's what this podcast is all about. If you've stumbled upon this one for the first time, check out all the other great marketing leaders who share their tips. Eventually, I hope you'll share yours. Until next time, a big thank you to Allison McLeod. This is The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.